Proverbs 17, verse 26. Also to punish the just is not good, nor to strike princes for equity. He that hath knowledge spareth his words, and a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise, and he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. Now we're going to launch from that end of verse 26, nor to strike princes for equity. And I think you'll understand why we're using that as we go into the lesson, or hopefully you will. Let me give you a couple of things, and then I'm going, I'm going to lay out some things by way of uh, foundation, and then try to build upon it in application. But let me begin right away and give you some things to write down. The ultimate goal of biblical leadership, I mean, we're going to be, lead the way God wants us to lead, biblically speaking. The ultimate goal of biblical, biblical leadership is to influence followers in such a way that God is glorified. <clears throat> So that deals with our behavior, it deals with our attitude towards them, the way we interact with them, and all these ways we want the Lord to be lifted up. We're not just trying to build a name for ourselves or build our own little empire. Uh, we're trying to glorify God in all that we do. Now, one way that God is glorified is when our influence develops our, our followers into leaders who can then influence their followers to glorify God. This is the idea of multiplication. So I'm not just trying to lead people to glorify God. I'm trying to lead people to lead people to glorify God. That, that expands and multiplies the opportunity or the, maybe the, um, the impact of glorifying God. Now if we properly reproduce ourselves as leaders, then God receives greater glory through the leaders that we produce. So if I can produce leaders who are trying to produce followers who glorify God, then it's kind of like the old um, um, multi-level marketing, you know, where you have the triangle, okay? I'm not into multi-level marketing, but the thought is, is that if you can uh, multiply yourself that way, the, the influence is going to be greater. Let me show you some verses, what I mean about this. Hold your place in Proverbs. Go with me to the book of Mark, if you will. Mark chapter number 1. Mark chapter 1, look with me at verse 35. Now this is the Lord in, in, in interacting with his followers. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, all men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, for therefore came I forth. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all the Galilee, and cast out devils. So the dynamic here is, they're following him. He's doing the preaching, they're following him. You see that dynamic there? Now watch what happens. There's going to be a change in this dynamic. Go with me to Mark chapter 3. And look with me at verse 13. And he goes up, again, this is about Jesus, and he goes up into a mountain and calls unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. And he ordained twelve, these would be the twelve apostles, that they should be with him. Now watch what happens next. And that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sickness, and to cast out devils. So it begins with him having followers. 
He's doing the preaching. They're following. And we get to Mark 3 now. He's trying to develop them so he can send them to do what he's doing. So the, the um, influence of Jesus is being expanded because his followers are now are doing what he's doing. He's just preaching here, and now they're also preaching. So it's multiplying or expanding uh, the influence that Jesus has. Brother Howes used to say this, and this is kind of always stuck in my mind as a, uh, as a good rule of thumb. Brother Howes said this, Jesus isn't king, but he's king of kings. And he isn't Lord, he's Lord of lords. So Jesus doesn't just rule, he rules over those that rule. And so his, uh, his ability to influence is expanded or multiplied. Now, As you think about it, multiplying yourself really is the key to growth. Um, one of the problems we have in our type of movement, and our particular movement, is that we are not doing very good at multiplying ourselves, either by, um, through soul winning, because we're not doing it, uh, we're not trying to reach people. It's, it's amazing how few churches have bus ministries anymore. I've had a couple conversations with that with people. It used to be that um, you, know, you almost have you know, buses running into buses on a Sunday morning, but that's not the case anymore. I can tell you from, for many, many years when I was at Victory and then even when we had, uh, earlier on we had our bus ministry here, that we would see other buses from other churches out doing what we're doing. And sometimes we're shaking our fists at them, don't get my kids, don't you dare do that. Uh, and so we'd have a little bit of competition. And now that's not the case anymore. Uh, we have lost our zeal, our desire. So we're not doing good at multiplying ourselves. But we're not multiplying ourselves as churches. Uh, churches being started... Well, there's not a whole lot of churches being started, but those who are being started aren't necessarily of our ilk. And I say this, and I know I'm opening a can of worms, and I'll get some people giving me some, 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 some snake eyes and looking at me and won't like what I'm about to say, but I'll, I'll say it. Uh, one of the big colleges that claim to be in our ilk, and I, I'm choosing my words here, that claim to be in our ilk, who are out west, particularly California, uh, they're producing churches that are not churches I want to be a member of. Uh, they're definitely, definitely going contemporary. Um, they're, they're, they, have, uh, they, don't, they have a song leader. They have, a, 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 they have a, a group up here. You don't need a group up here singing. And that is, nothing good comes out of that. Because it becomes more of a, let me just, you don't mind if I just say a few things, do you? Let me, let me tell you this. When we, when we sing, it is, this isn't America Got Talent. Okay. This is, we are singing praise to the Lord. And when you bring a group up here and everyone's watching the group, like it's some type of um, concert or something, and people are just, you know, kind of sway and they're just kind of mumbling through words, that is not what singing in church is about. The reason we use one guy, because all, we're trying to get you to sing. You're the ones who are supposed to be lifting up your voice, praising the Lord in song. That's what the, the, the singing isn't time filler. It isn't like, okay, it's church, let's figure out something to do until we get to the preaching. Singing is, in a, is a vital part of worshiping the Lord. You ever see the book of Psalms? You know what Psalms were? They were sung. You have a whole song book in our Bible because they sung these things to the Lord. It is a part of our worship. But now we're moving into even churches who claim to be independent fundamental Baptists. They have their drums, they have their guitars, they have their little praise worship band up there. That is not multiplying ourselves. That is going definitely a different direction. And so we are not doing well at multiplying ourselves. What we need to, that's the key to growth. I'll get off of that. I'll, 
I'm sure I'll check into it later uh, in, in days coming forward, but that is something that we are failing in. Maybe the advanced level of leadership, the advanced level of leadership, is when we don't just lead followers, but we lead leaders who lead followers. Now this allows us then again to multiply our efforts to bring God glory through the influence of our leadership, and that's the goal. And we want to do it the best we can and the most we can. Now a leader should always strive to have the proper interaction with his followers. In words and actions, correction, praise, whatever our interaction is with our followers. Again, we're talking about our kids, we're talking about our Sunday school class, we're talking about um, a, a job, whether we're talking about, I don't know, some, maybe you, you coach Little League or something. Whatever, whatever the interaction is, okay, we want to have the proper interaction with those followers and the way we deal with them. But those type of interactions become even more important if you're going to have leaders who follow you. Again, let me take a little uh, detour here. Now, I am not in any way, and I know I take, a, I take a risk at this, and sounding this way, and I'm not trying to. I'm not in any way putting myself on a pedestal, trying to puff myself up, or trying to say we as a church have arrived. But I'll say one thing that the Lord has done. The Lord has done, that I'm very thankful for at Grace, is God has given us not just followers, he's given us leaders, people who, who have grown into a leadership capability and leadership position who are trying to not just, not just be a follower, but to be a leader of followers, which is important in a church life. So as we have these interactions, not just with followers, but with leaders who are following us, it's very important how we now we interact. Now watch this statement. The multiplied benefit of developing leaders, which is what we were talking about a few moments ago. The multiplied benefit of developing leaders is accompanied by the multiplied difficulty of developing leaders. Whatever work goes into leadership, if you're just leading followers, whatever work goes into leadership is greatly increased when you're striving to develop leaders. Leading followers is a lot of work. Leading leaders is ex exponentially greater work, harder work. Now, I'll tell you up front, this lesson, which is the final lesson, is not designed to be inclusive of all that's required to develop leaders. There are books, there are classes, there are seminars given on this topic. There's a lot to be said about it. We're talking about verses from Proverbs and, and what is taught in Proverbs about this. So we're looking from Proverbs, we're going to look at three teachings from Proverbs. Now I think these teachings would be, if you're teaching on this subject, you would have these three lessons, but there'd be more lessons from other places in the Bible. But three teachings from Proverbs about developing leaders. So what are we going to look at? Well, let's go back now to our text, Proverbs 17, verse 26. Also to punish the just is not good, nor to strike princes for equity. He that hath knowledge spareth his words, and a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. And he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. You know, there's an old statement, you know, um, 
It's better to keep your mouth shut and everyone think you're wise and open your mouth and re reveal that you're a fool or something like that. And that is basically what the Bible is teaching there. Just by keeping your mouth shut, you, you, you will seem wiser uh, just by not saying anything. So let me give you the first lesson about developing leaders from Proverbs. Number one is this. These may seem real basic, but they're very important if you're going to develop leaders. Not just followers, leaders. Number one is this. Do not confront leaders in front of their followers. That's the idea of the end of verse 26. Nor to strike princes. For us, for me to strike a prince, for me to hurt another leader in front of their followers is bad news. So let me give you a couple of thoughts about this. If you have delegated a leadership responsibility to someone, then you owe that person, based on that delegation, respect and support. Ultimately, if they fail, it's not their fault, it's your fault. Because you put them in charge. Now, why would they fail? Well, their failure may be a lack of understanding. Maybe I didn't explain it well. Or a lack of obeying. Maybe I just chose the wrong person. But still, it's my fault because I chose them. Either way, okay, whether they don't know what they're doing because I didn't explain it, or they just won't do it because I picked the wrong person. Either way, to confront them in front of their followers will magnify the problem and significantly harm their ability to lead going forward. Here's what I know. If I put someone in charge of something, and, and they have their followers with them, okay, and I correct them, confront them, and somehow disrespect them in front of their followers, I might as well get rid of them as a leader because they can no longer lead. I have ruined their opportunities to lead those people. And that's on me. Followers should not observe division, and this is very true, this is applied specifically to a home situation. Okay, this is very true within a home situation. Followers should not observe division within the leadership structure. Nothing, if, if mom and dad are divided, bad things are going to happen in that family. Followers should not observe division within the leadership structure. If they do, if these followers do, if they look and they realize, okay, here's a leader and here's a leader, and these leaders are fussing with each other, if they observe this type of division, they can and often do lose respect for their immediate leader, but also their leader's leader. They're going to disrespect you because they're going to say, well, why would you treat him that way? You put him in charge or you put her in charge. What does that say about you? Also, if they observe division, and this is especially true with kids, if they do, they will take advantage of such division and work against the leader they don't like. Kids are smart. If they know mom and dad are fussing about something, if they're on different pages about something, they will play one against the other. I know what you're thinking. Not my kids. No, your kids. Oh, no. Kids are so angelic. They're innocent. They're, they're born sinners. They're already born with a sin nature, and they know how to do the things that you don't think they know how to do. They will manipulate if they know mom wants something and they know dad wants something, they're going to go to the one that they want to. If they want what mom wants, they're going to go to mom and say, Mom, can I? 
or they want what dad wants, I'm going to go to dad, can't I? And they'll try to play one against the other. And it splits the leadership, and it hurts the fellowship. I think about this when in a classroom situation when I was an administrator. It's very easy at times when you observe something in a classroom that's not appropriate to correct it while the teacher's there. But as soon as I do that, that teacher has lost that classroom. And I knew that as an administrator. Sometimes I had to bite my tongue because I wanted to, I wanted to jump in and do something. But I had to wait until the appropriate time I could bring the teacher aside and say, that's, now I don't mean some kid's life's at risk or something. I just mean behavior is not on the level that it should be. And so I'd have to bring the teacher aside and say, okay, here's how you deal with that. Here's what you should have done. I will confront the teacher. I'm not saying you don't confront the leader. I'm saying you don't confront the leader in front of the followers. That's what I'm saying. Um, we had a situation once. We had a teacher. She was a, she was a good lady. And, and, and I mostly did well. But she had, and, and she had taught more than this year. But this particular year, in this particular class, she did not handle it well at all. I don't know if it was the students there's some things going on in her life maybe that got her distracted but whatever it was not a it was not a good year for that class so it was extra work trying to to deal with that well one time the pastor came to me and um, he said I don't think I'm saying anything I'm not letting out confidence or something this is just how it was he came to me and said what if we take so here's teacher a She's, she, she is not doing a great job there. It's not a terrible job, but it's, it's not as good as it should be. So here's teacher A. Here's teacher B, who's doing an excellent job in her class. I mean, it is, she is like a, she's doing it perfect. And so the pastor said, what if we take teacher A and put it in class B and take teacher B and put it in class A? Because teacher B will straighten up class A. And I said, but what will teacher A do to class B? All you're going to do is have now a different class with the problem. And I said this, and I, I believe it's very true, and I said this, at the end of the school year, we have to fire teacher A. Because every student in that school knows that she can't do the job. We just made it public when we took her out of her class and put it in another class. So that's why, that's why you have to understand, when you're dealing with leaders, you have to look beyond of this particular situation, but am, am I... If, if I do this, I'm going to stop their ability to be a leader in that situation. So I do not confront leaders in front of their followers. Now, developing leaders will often require times of correction because they're being developed. How a leader's leader does that correction, so let's say dad and mom are not on the same page. Well, there may need to be discussion, but you don't do it in front of the kids. You do it apart from the kids. So there may be times for discussion. So a leader's leader does that correction, but how he does it will either help or hinder that development. And it will determine whether you as a leader can lead leaders. So that's the first thing. You don't confront a leader in front of their followers. So let's say, and this is not the case, but I'm, I'm going to use it as an example. Okay, I was in Molly's class on Sunday morning. It, it was very, she does a good job, and uh, we've actually put people in her class to, 
to, to observe, to learn. She, she's a, she's a, she does a great job in her class. And, and I appreciate all the work she puts into it. And, um, and as long as you give me pecan pies, I will, I will keep saying what I'm saying. I'm just telling you, pecan pie stop, pray stops. It's just, that's, just, that's just the way I am. Um, but if something wasn't going right, if I stepped into her classroom and said, um, Mrs. Cleveland, what's going on here? You know this is not how it's supposed to be done. Now, she may fix the problem, but I've lost her respect, and, I, and I've lost respect of the students, and she's lost respect of the students. That is a bad situation. I'm not saying there can't ever be correction, but you've got to be careful how you correct your leaders or you're going to hinder any possibility of them leading, at least in that situation. Number two, let's go to Proverbs 19. So that's the first lesson. Again, you pull them aside and say, what were you thinking? You know, man, you, you, that's not how we do it. Okay, one-on-one, you can be very blunt if you have to be. But you don't do it in front of their followers. That's not how it does. Second big lesson, Proverbs 19. Look with me at verse 6. Many will entreat the favor of the prince, and every man is a friend to him that giveth gifts. Now drop down to verse 10. Delight is not seemly for a fool, much less for a servant to have rule over princes. That brings us to our second one, which is very similar to the first, but there is a difference here. Number two is this, work through the chain of command that you have established. So problem one is, is that we try to micromanage our leaders. So we put someone in charge and we try to micromanage them and we correct them. Or we try to micromanage them and we never let them do anything. We give them things to do, but we always keep stepping in and doing it ourselves. Work through the chain of command that you establish. You cannot, you cannot develop leaders if you don't let them lead. So you've got to allow the one you put in position of leadership to do one who is leading. They're not going to always do it exactly the way you want it and how you had done it. And sometimes there has to be correction. Sometimes they have to pull them aside and say, okay, let's do it this way. But you have to let them. Here is a hard part of leading. You have to let them fail. Because if they don't fail... That means they're not trying. Because if you're trying, you're going to fail at times. I hate to tell you that. If you really try, you're not always going to get it right. Sometimes you're going to think, oops, that didn't work. Let's try it this way. And so failing is a part of the learning process. But if you never let your, your, your one you're trying to develop ever fail, because you're always stepping in and rescuing them, you're not letting them grow. Again, we're not encouraging failure. We're not just saying, you know, let's just push them into failure. But you can't so micromanage them that they never get a chance to develop as a leader. If followers need to be instructed or the follower needs to be corrected, speak to the leader and let the leader do the correcting or the instructing. Now, this is essential in proper leadership structure. You know, if, if you need to, if you have a problem, okay, if, if I put this person in charge and they're not doing it well, then I need to talk to that person. I don't need to talk to everyone else. I don't even need to talk to the followers. I need to talk to that person. Let me give you a couple thoughts about this. Why is this essential? Well, 
One is this, and, and I'll give you an illustration of what I mean by this, because it may not seem that important. It keeps all the different levels of leadership on the same page as they deal with followers. Here's what I mean. Let me give you an illustration. Maybe, maybe it'll make more sense what I'm talking about. Um, and of course, I'm going to give you, guess what, a Long John Silver's illustration. I have a Long John Silver illustration about everything. Some of them are true. Now, and this is one of them. Now, they're, they're, all, they're, they're all basically true. So, and I've told you this story about the timers, right? I've told you about the timers, how they go green, they go red, and then they go beep. And I told you about how people kept wanting to pull product up before it beeps. No, it, just because it's red, you don't pull it until it beeps. Hear me, Jeff? No beeping, no pulling. Don't want to see you pulling if it's not beeping. Okay, if I don't hear a beep, I better not see that product out of that, out of that vat. Now, I come in, I'm going to run my shift, and this wasn't the Jeff, because Jeff is this guy. I would always say, he, he would drop product and never put a timer on. And I'd say, Jeff, how do you know when it's done? He'd go like this. <laughs> and, I'd and I'd point to the timer, and I'd go. Uh, that was Jeff. Jeff was an interesting character. No, no problem, man, no problem. That's what he would say. No, no problem, man, no problem. But we had another cook, and this other cook, he was, he was, he was weird. He was kind of a prima donna in that I think he would probably be more comfortable wearing a dress, that kind of a prima donna. He was real effeminate. He was real, I'll, I'll be honest, I did not, I didn't really bond with him. You know, we just really didn't bond in, in a work relationship. But I tried to keep it professional, and and he was a guy who thought he was beyond, he thought more of himself than I thought of him. Probably than anyone else thought of him. And so I'm, I'm, I'm back there, and this is at a, uh, Jeff was at Crown Point. This was when I was manager in Cherville. And so I'm, I'm back there, and I see out of the corner of my eye, I see, and I forget, I think his name might have been Jeff too. I forget what his name was. We'll, just, we'll call him, we'll call him, um, Betty. And so, <laughs> and so I see him, I see the timer turn red, I see him turn it off and pull product. Now, you know what I'm going to do. I'm going to confront him. And I say to him, to him, and I say, don't pull the product until the timer goes off. And he said to me, he said, they changed the policy on this particular product. I forget, I might have I forget what it was. He said it's 30 seconds less. 30 seconds, it went from red to beep. That was 30 seconds. He said it's 30 seconds less of cook time now. So as soon as it turns red, they want us to pull it. I said, no. If it doesn't beep, you don't pull it. Well, he said, that, that's what they told me. I said, I don't care what they told you. I know what the policy is, and I know what they told me. And I'm paid for what they tell me to do. Don't pull it if it doesn't beep. And he's going, nah, 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 nah. I said, you have two choices. You can follow what I'm telling you, or you can punch out and go home. Those are only two choices that are going to happen right now. So he waited for it to beep, you know, and he's puffing and puffing and doing his little uh, stuff. He leaves. He calls my, my boss, and my boss calls me and is going to chew me out. Like, why are you changing policy? I said, what are you talking about? You, well, the new policy is, is that uh, 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 it's 30 seconds less, and I told whatever the 
his, her name was. What, what, I told him that, and so he was doing what I told him. And I said, did you tell me that? Uh, well, uh, 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 I said, I'm only going to do what you tell me, not what the cook tells me to do. Now, that cook was ready to quit. My boss was ready to fire me, all because my boss, my boss told my employee what to do without ever telling me what to do. Now, that's, that, that is a unique situation, but you can see if, if the leader's leader involves himself, bypasses the leader, the conflict that hap- happens. And that happens in a home. If the mom tells the kid one thing and the dad shows up and starts telling the kid something else, the kid's now caught in a, in a, in a division there, and he's going to get in trouble almost either way. So you've got to be careful. So it keeps all the different levels of leadership on the same page. Secondly, this is underneath that, it provides opportunities for the leader to lead. And we talked about that, make him a better leader. The goal is to develop the leader. Let them do what you told them to do. If they don't do it, pull them aside. Again, we're not confronting in front of their followers. Pull them aside and say, okay, let's work on this. It's not up to where it needs to be. We can do better. Let me give you a third, and this you may not think about. Again, this applies in different ways. I understand we're making it very broad. You have to kind of consider your situation. But you may not have considered this part of it, and a lot of people don't, but I've seen it play out. And that is this. It establishes an important layer of correction and or arbitration when it is needed. So when it comes to, I'll give you an example of what I mean. So when it comes to um, the bus ministry, for someone to be, to, I don't mean, you know, we don't pick them up for a week or two. I'm talking about someone to be absolutely, you're not coming anymore. Okay, for that to happen takes a um, interaction with the pastor. The pastor is the only one who decides when someone no longer is able to come because of their behavior. But that's not like me interjecting myself into that situ- situation right away. So let's say it's um, um, little, little Larry here who can't follow the rules, because you know how little Larry is. So he starts acting up. Well, the first person to correct him would be, depending whether it's on the bus or in the Sunday school class, let's say it's in Sunday school class. The first person to correct him is the Sunday school teacher. Now, and I've said this in multiple settings, I'll say it again. The number one way to have classroom discipline is to have classroom preparation. Unprepared teachers are going to have an undisciplined class. And so, if I'm a Sunday school teacher, okay, and here's little Larry who can't behave himself, I got to say, okay, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm unprepared and, and I have all this free time or this unscheduled time and the kid's just finding his own program. And kids will do that. Kids will find their own program. They'll make their own program. And so I got to put it back on me. But if, if I'm doing the best I can do and what I should be doing and he's just bent on not obeying and I can, I can put him aside maybe by himself, I can put maybe a worker with him. There's several things I'm going to do before, before I... I go to the next level. First is for me to interact as a Sunday school teacher with little Larry and trying to get him. Now, if that doesn't work, then the Sunday school teacher can go to the bus captain and say, okay, we've got a problem with little Larry here. What can we do about him? Can you talk to his parents? Can you talk to little Larry? Can you help in this situation? And so now there's an, a, another person who's interacting. And then uh, 
when we did have a Sunday school superintendent, before we made him a, uh, gave him his own classroom, that was James, then that was the next level. Eventually, it would come to me when no one can figure out what to do, and little Larry is just bent on, you know, he's going to sit there and pull every little girl's hair or punch every boy in the nose. He's going to crawl underneath the seats and, and, uh, and uh, just, you know, kick. And we've had kids that do things like this. And kick on the seats and, 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 and just, I mean, he's just totally out of control. Eventually, it would come to me. But notice how many opportunities little Larry had to straighten up. If the first time little, little, little Larry acts up and he immediately comes to me, and my answer is, well, I, okay, I can't sit in your classroom and control him. Either you've got to control him or he can't be there. Okay, you, it's one or the other. And if you can't control him and the whole class is chaos, I don't, the only, only choice I got is not to bring him. That's the only other choice I got. So there's no levels that, of correction or arbitration so when you let leaders lead, so you're the leader of the leader, and you have leaders under you, and you let them do the leading, it allows that follower to have levels of correction and arbitration. It is a much better system. What I'm trying to say is if you're going to lead leaders, you've got to let the leaders lead. You can't just micromanage, jump in, try to correct every possible problem. You've got to let the leaders lead. And if they don't do it, then you confront them privately. Number three, the last one. Here's a third thing that we see in Proverbs about leading leaders. Proverbs 20. Look with me at verse 28. Mercy and truth preserve the king, and his throne is upholden by mercy. Let's go to a corresponding scripture, Psalm 61, if you will. And look with me at verse 6. Psalm 61, verse 6. Thou wilt prolong the king's life and his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. O prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. So we see a, a similar teaching there in Psalms. So here's the third understanding about leading leaders. So we, we don't confront the follower in front of the leader. We let, sorry, we don't confront the leader in front of the follower. We do it privately. If we put someone in charge, you let them be in charge. Let me back up from this one. Because this, this may help you, because I know people get irritated with me with this. They'll say, if, if something is not like they want it to be, and it's not wrong, it's just, it's just it is the way it is. I'm not saying something's not happening bad, it's just different than how they would want it. Typically is what I say is this, I'm not going to muzzle the ox. If I put someone in charge, I give them some liberty to do certain things. They may not do it exactly, okay, if you're going to paint your classroom a particular color, it may not be the color I would paint my classroom. But it's not my classroom. I've given that classroom to you. I will give you liberty to choose. Okay, if you're going to put posters up, it may not be the poster I put up. But I'm going to give you liberty to do that. If you're going to put someone in charge, you've got to give them some liberty, some, some, some uh, um, freedom to be the leader. If not, then they're not the leader. You are. And you're not leading leaders. You're just leading followers. Number three. You'll have to, here's the third one. You'll have to learn to balance grace and firmness. 
<coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> you have to balance the two together. <coughs> the phrase we're seeing in the Bible is mercy and truth. The same idea, grace and firmness. So leaders of leaders need to be able to have consistency and integrity. But they also must have consideration and kindness. Now you can get away with not having it the perfect balance as a leader of followers, but not as a leader of leaders. This one come back and, and bite you pretty, pretty much. You cannot choose one. You can't say, well, I'll be the consistent integrity one, and let someone else be the considerate and kind one. Well, again, if, as a leader of leaders, you can't do that. You cannot choose one. You must learn the proper balance of the two. Now, I know what you're saying. I'm reading your mind. Okay, you're saying, why? Why, does that be, why can't I just be me? God made me the way I am. Well, maybe he didn't. Maybe the devil did. So, just kidding. And, uh, you know, why can't I just do what I want to do? Because we're not trying to do what we want to do. We're trying to do it God's way. We're trying to conform to biblical principle. So why there has to be balance? Again, it doesn't matter if you're talking about a central class, a bus route, uh, a job, uh, a Boy Scout troop, or you're talking about your kids. You've got to have both grace and firmness. You can't have just one. You just can't always be the rules, and you can't always be lovey-dovey. Okay? Both are needed. You can't, you can't never express kindness, but you can't say, well, I don't want to ever give them, and I know parents have said this, I don't want to tell them no, it may, it may somehow, it may somehow uh, uh, hurt their development. Well, if you're talking about their development as an uncontrolled uh, heathen, yeah, it may hurt that development, but that's the goal. Okay? So they need some firmness, yes, but they need some graciousness as well. Both are important. Why must there be a balance? Let me give you two reasons why there must be a balance. The first is this, because God is balanced. God is absolute truth, but he's also absolute grace. He's a very balanced God. So hold your place. Well, not really. I guess we're not going back to Psalms. Let's go to John. Well, we are going back to Psalms. Uh, John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Let's look at what it says about the Lord. John chapter 1, look with me at verse 17. Now this may not be the most exciting lesson, and, and I think really it's the hardest lesson. And one of the reasons it just doesn't really strike us maybe is because a lot of people don't strive to be leaders of leaders. But I think, and maybe, maybe you don't. But if we're going to do... If it's our heart's desire to bring to God the most glory, I want to lead the best I can. John 1, verse 17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now go back with me to Psalms, Psalms 89. And look with me at verse 13. Psalms 89, verse 13. Psalms 89, verse 13, Thou hast a mighty arm, strong is thy hand, and high is thy right hand. Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. So you see the balance there also. So because, why must we be balanced? Because God is balanced. To be a leader like God, 
means to lead like God. And here's the second reason why, why must there be balance. And I want you to consider this. Okay? Number one, because God is balanced, so we should strive for balance. Here's number two, because people are not balanced. And if you're not balanced as a leader, then you can't lead them because they're already not balanced. We're trying to lead them. We're not trying to be like them. We're trying to lead them. Go with me to Luke chapter 9. And what happens is if you're not balanced, you're basically going to have a group of followers who are just as unbalanced as you. That's what you're going to attract. They're, they're going to be whatever crazy you have is the crazy they're going to have. But we're not trying to produce us. We're trying to produce Jesus. Luke chapter 9, look with me at verse 51. Now we mentioned Jesus being balanced, God being balanced. You kind of see it here. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers for his face. And they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was as though he'd go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, will thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Would you say that's balanced? Now, there's a couple of things about this, and we won't go deep into it. There's, there's some things that, that, that are to be understood. And when we talked about the chronology of the life of Christ, I think in that particular Bible study, we got more into uh, what was going on. They really weren't, they really weren't disrespecting Jesus. There, there's more to the story than that. But the, it is important that they are Samaritans, and the Jews did not like the Samaritans. So it's almost like it was an opportunity for these Jewish apostles to say, let's kill them. They're Samaritans anyways. They're probably, they, they, we know they hate you, Jesus. Now notice what Jesus said. But he turned and rebuked them and said, you know not what manner of spirit you are of. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. That's the spirit you're supposed to be a part of. Not the spirit of man, but the spirit of God. And, you, and you're, you're doing the spirit of man here. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Now watch this. And they went to another village. That was really the answer. They don't want you. Okay, let's go over here then. Why do we got to kill them? Let's just go to another one. Because people are not balanced. If you are not balanced as a leader, then whatever, if you, if you have lead followers who are ready to kill people, you're like, yeah, let's go kill them. If you have followers who are, who are never willing to stand for anything, who are wishy-washy, then that's the kind of leader you're going to be. You're going to be wishy-washy. And so you have to be balanced because your followers are not going to be balanced. And you're not going to develop leaders who are balanced if you're not a leader himself who's balanced. So the more balanced a leader is, the more able he's to develop other leaders who will need to learn to be balanced. One thing that Brother Howes just harped on and pounded on and beat on was this idea of balance. And, and, and the importance of balance. And the more he talked about it, the more I perceived it, and, or perceived that I wasn't, and said, okay, I need to be, and, and I want to be balanced, because my leader's balanced, so I want to lead people, so I want to be balanced. So why must there be balance? Because God's balanced, and because people are not balanced, so we as leaders must be. Now let's get to the end. And I'll just kind of basically, what I, how I started is how I'll finish, which is pretty much how I always do it. It is much harder to lead leaders than just to lead followers. It is. Because you have to bite your tongue when you rather say something. And you have to kind of sometimes let things go a certain course because if you, if you correct it too early, 
They're not learning from their mistakes. Now, you don't want the, the car to go off the cliff, but you want to at least maybe get a wheel off the edge. So they go, oh, okay, let's pull it back over now. You've got to at least let them learn from their mistakes. Now, I'll, I'll give you, uh, uh, you, you know I work for Bill at times. Well, Bill pays me to show up. I'm not sure how much work I accomplish. Uh, it, it, is, it is of his good grace that he allows, allows me to show up. And I enjoy it. I, we, we, I've learned some things. We did, some, uh, we did a, another footer job uh, this week. And I got to, uh, we, we uh, put concrete into where the footer is going. And I got to put the, the trowel thing on it and help level it out and smooth it out. And that was kind of fun to do. Uh, when he kept whacking back the head when it wasn't right, that, that kind of hurt after a while. But it was, it was kind of, did I ever tell you about my, <laughs> my <laughs> never, never mind. Sorry. Um, I didn't know where I was going with that, about Bill working. I got caught in my own, uh, my own little circle of stories, and I forgot where I was going. Yeah, leading leaders. I'll get back to it. Did I tell you about my hand that he drilled into? Yeah, yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah. Letting people make mistakes. Yeah. Oh, I know I was going to tell you the story of a mistake I made. Now, he has a skid steer, and he has a bucket, and he has forks on it. And we, this is one of the, when I first started working up in uh, Lorraine, which is funny enough, we're going to go back there and Tear down some buildings, maybe. Um, more buildings. It's fun to tear down buildings. So anyways, um, I have the forks on it. He said, go put the, take the bucket off, put the forks on. And he's taught me how to do this at this point in time. And I thought, I thought I had it right. So I'm, I'm, I'm and there's this big dumpster. And he's on the big excavator. And I got this stuff in, in the forks. And I'm, picking, it kind of sounds like that. Picks it up. And I got to pick it up high of the dumpster, and I got to drop the, like, tilt the forks down so everything slides off. And I watched the forks fall right off and into the dumpster. <laughs> I'm thinking, I don't remember him telling me to do that. That's probably not right. I'm sitting there looking at it. I'm looking over at him. He's not, he hasn't seen it yet, and I'm looking back at it. <laughs> I'm looking back at him. Now he's looking at me like, what did you do? So he, got, he brought the excavator over. I had, I had to get a chain. I had to get on the excavator. He lowered it down. I had to wrap the chain around it, and I had to ride the excavator back up and did it right. Now, what I'm saying is, if I, I, next, every time I put the forks on, I, I, I tilt it down. I make sure those locks are in there, and I put it down. Now, I didn't ruin his, his I didn't ruin it, because then he probably wouldn't been, you know, hit the road. But I made a mistake, and I learned from the mistake. Sometimes you've got to let people learn from their mistakes. Sometimes kids got to do something. St I don't mean sinful. I don't mean ruin their lives. But sometimes you got to, you got they, they, sometimes they wreck their bikes. <laughs> and you have to say, you won't do that again, will you? Nope. They learn. And so that's a part of developing leaders. We're not saying let them ruin their life, but sometimes you can't micro, micromanaging. If you have a leader that you're developing, you cannot micromanage them. They won't develop. Continuing on. But if you can lead leaders, so it's very hard, but if you can lead leaders, you will multiply your ability to influence others in a way that glorifies God. If we can, we're going to multiply, which is what we want to do. I'm thankful for everyone who's, who has risen to the challenge um, 
Uh, years ago, I don't think Molly would ever have thought about teaching a central class. Uh, she would say, well, with James, I'll teach one. And I think you guys taught something together or did something together for a while. Um, and now here she is teaching. And that, that's good. And um, others as well. I'm not just trying to harp on one, but others as well. Last statement. We should seek to develop leaders, not for the sake of our pride, like, hey, look at me, I lead leaders. That's not why we're doing it. But our desire to bring God as much glory as possible. I think, I told you I wouldn't harp on it. I'm going to harp on it. I think Molly and what she does brings God glory. So her elevation as a leader expands and multiplies the glory that God gets. That's our desire as developing leaders. All right, we have finished the lesson. We have finished the series. It is time now to finish the service and go home. So let's.